0: Blog Talk Radio. Let It Go Unheard. And this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peakoff, And if you've been checking out the program notes over at the blog at don'tletitgo.com, or if you've seen the posts on social media and that's how you got here, you see that the title of tonight's show is. Either or, and just like I did last week, I'll give you a little foray into how I came to this title. There's a couple of news stories that got me to this place, and one of them was from the Los Angeles Times. I was over at the LA Times a bit this week because of the tragic shooting. Um, actually, I'm not going to call it tragic. I'm going to call it an atrocity over there. Oh, I don't know if you heard that. My, my Apple Watch just told me I achieved the goal of standing Uh, 12 out of 12 hours, that's awesome. Um, And the night is still young, right? So, um, yeah, I was over at L.A. Times a lot because of the shooting, the horrible, atrocious shooting, uh, murder-suicide it turned out to be, at UCLA. And while I was there, I saw this story where they analyze who gives money to Bernie Sanders. And the salient point was that about one quarter of donors you know, kind of per capita, to Bernie Sanders. One quarter of the donors to Bernie Sanders do not have jobs. They don't work. They have no jobs. They live off of your and my tax dollars. And, of course, they're supporting Bernie Sanders, who plans to take more and more of our money and give more and more of it to people like those supporters, right? Right. Um, Arjun in the chat room is asking, are there going to be Atlas Shrug Spoilers? Um, he says, considering the title, I'm slightly afraid as I'm only on Chapter 2 of either or. Um, Arjun, I am planning on confining Atlas Shrug Spoilers to the end of the show. Okay? So the spoilers I'm going to try to confine to be towards the end of the show. Um yeah, so I think I think you're going to end up being okay with it, and I will keep that in mind, and I'm going to try to give you guys a, a warning at the end. So, yeah, either or, it is from part two of Atlas Shrugged. That's, of course, where the title came from, but it, it came to my mind because of these news stories. Okay, so that, so here's the first, right? You've got these people who are using our own tax dollars in order to get Bernie Sanders elected so that Bernie can take more of our money and give it to those same people. Then the second story is the story of protesters attacking Trump supporters, physically attacking Trump supporters outside a Trump rally in San Jose this week. The headline from the Washington Post is ugly bloody scenes in San Jose as protesters attack Trump supporters outside rally. I went ahead and watched the video that they've got there. They have a couple minutes worth of, yes, bloody physical attacks, which is just revulsifying. And so, you know, in in particular, that second one, because it is just outright in-your-face violence, made a big impression on me. And, you know, we've been talking about strategies for the election in the last few shows here. And I've been concentrating on, for example, you know, maybe I'd vote Gary Johnson because Hillary will likely win and we want to take away any whiff of mandate that she might get from, you know, winning handily over Trump because all of these never-Trump people are going to vote for Hillary in order to prevent Trump from getting in, right? Um, So that's one way to think about it. But now when you start seeing that, you know, remember some of the Trump supporters at their own rallies – were actually physically you know, you know taking on protesters in the rally itself. So we've seen that before. We've seen Trump offer to pay for the attorney's fees for the people who kind of rough up these protesters within the rallies, right? So we've seen already some you know incitement of violence by Trump and maybe some of his supporters. So there's that side of it. And then now we've seen outside the rally, some real violence against the people who are going to the rally itself. Now, mind you, not everybody who is a Trump supporter going to the, you know, a, a Trump rally. Not all of those people themselves are at all violent. And But these protesters that are outside and they're willing to go ahead and start attacking them, they don't know who is who. They don't know which one is violent. It's, you know, they just say, oh, it's Trump. Let's go after him. Um, and some of them, they're not even doing it because of that. They're doing it for other reasons. But my point is, is that we are seeing, on both sides of the two-party system right now, uh, people who are resorting to violence as opposed to persuasion. You know, the, the either-or in this scenario, of course, is reason on the one hand, reason and persuasion which is what we should be doing in politics. We should be trying to persuade and having our political candidates earn votes on the basis of arguments for positions, right? But instead, we are seeing, you know, the candidates themselves promise to initiate government force in order to achieve certain ends that they think are somehow noble. You know, little do they know that they can't do it that way. Um, And then we also see now the supporters on both sides themselves resorting to violence on the streets, right? Um, so it's not just the politicians, you know, themselves initiating force on behalf of government in the name of the so-called public good. We're seeing the people who are electing them or, you know, thinking that they're going to vote for them on the streets using violence directly against each other. It is getting really, really nasty. So now, what am I thinking in terms of election strategy? I'm thinking, well, I don't want to empower, encourage, reinforce either of these groups, right? Either the anti-Trump or the pro-Trump, these people who themselves are getting incited to violence. They are resorting to physical force as opposed to argument. I don't want these people to be empowered by their, you know, would-be dictator whether it's Hillary or Trump getting elected. I mean, you know, again, it's not just the politicians that are, you know, promising to use force against citizens in the name of a so-called noble end, the public good, which is, you know, never works. On the streets themselves, the people themselves are, are resorting to violence. This is really bad. So Uh, philosophy science in the chat room is saying it's time to abandon the ship of the two parties. And this is exactly what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this would be another reason to vote for Gary Johnson. Can you imagine any Gary Johnson supporter resorting to, violence as opposed to argument. I'm not saying that Gary Johnson supporters would necessarily have good arguments, right? I think I have the best arguments or people who are, you know, fairly well-versed in in objectivism or or other uh, individual rights-based arguments that we have the best arguments. And I don't know that Gary Johnson is very solid or that his supporters are necessarily very, very, you know, very solid, but I just don't see them being violent people. And we are actually seeing significant numbers of supporters of the main party candidates whether Democrat or Republican actually resorting to violence. Uh, Arjun says here's hoping the Republicans and Democrats will kill each other off on the streets. No, 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 no. This is not at all what I think. I mean my first reaction when I saw this story was how incredibly sad it is and how incredibly sad it is that I have to with my vote think about whether I am reinforcing violent thugs not just in political office because we've been used to violent thugs in political office I mean you know violent when I say violent of course it's not overt violence yet right Um, people talk about there's a body count behind Hillary Clinton or whatever we can have our conspiracy theories and stuff but overtly Being violent? No, no, no. They're hiding behind the public good as they're initiating and, you know, force. They're pointing the government gun at all of us. Um, It's some noble end. But now we're seeing out and out violence. And I have to think of, with my vote, not only giving a mandate to a government thug, but giving a mandate to thugs on the street who pose any of us danger any time, any day. So I think that's really kind of a, a you know, a sorry state of things when we when we have to worry about that. Yeah. You know, by the way, um, I've been seeing some of the Kung Fu Panda movies and I don't know if you guys watch a Kung Fu Panda movie or not, but there's uh, in the third, the Kung Fu Panda three, there's a backstory of the villain Kai. And, um, Uh, Is Uguay the kind of old, wise Kung Fu master? I think that's his name. Anyway, so he's telling the story. It's told in his voice of of the history of this guy, Kai. And at one point they're talking about, you know, he wants the chi. He wants the chi of everybody or something. And, um, you know, chi is something, I guess, in Kung Fu, mythology, you might call it, or ideology. Chi is some kind of life force that you can give to people, right? It's a very positive thing. And this uh, Kai wants to take it all from everybody. And so Uguay says, he says that Kai mistakenly thought that what can be given can be taken away, right? That what can be given can be taken away. And this is what these various thugs who are, you know, them in politics themselves or their supporters, they think they think there's something out there they want, and they can just take it by force, and that's what's going on. So I'm not hoping they're going to kill each other. I think this is the saddest thing to see ever. But what I want to do is I want to withdraw my support or perceived support from any of this. And again, I take this as another sign. Maybe maybe I want to vote for Gary Johnson. Not that I'm fully excited about Gary Johnson. I definitely have my reservations. Uh, I know that Rob, Rob Abiera, who gave me so many stories this week. Thank you, Rob. He's here in the chat room. I think he posted something about people are upset about what Gary Johnson has said about Islam. Uh, You know, Islam is a a big concern in terms of national security. Right. Um, But I don't know that Gary Johnson, I mean, in some ways, he has some good things on his website and his positions, right? I read that before. And he uh, talks about Sharia ideology being a danger. So, you know, in that sense, he, he does have some knowledge, but I'm sure he's also said some other inconsistent things. Like I said, again, he's far from perfect, Gary Johnson, but he and Weld. They do have the executive experience. I think that they are both decent people. Yes, they are very mixed. But what you do think of is that neither he nor people, the supporters of him, they are not overtly violent types. And this is what we're starting to see in the supporters of the other candidates, and that's very scary. Rob says he thinks he's retracted the statements. Well, it's good then because I did not put that one in the program notes, Rob. I put a whole bunch of your other stories in the program notes for today's show, but I didn't put anything about that. I just ended up deciding maybe I'd mention it like I just did fleeting way, but not uh, do that. Arjun in the chat room says, do you think the case can be made that the Trump supporters are the spiritual successors of fascism and their opposers, the spiritual successors of Marxism, perhaps, he says, uh, so two sides of the same coin. I think you could indeed uh, hypothesize that because I do think that that's a lot of what's going on here. Although at the same time, right, there are some people who have legitimate grievances against Trump. For example, he, I think, goes too far, at least in his, quote, suggestions about immigration policy we have no idea what he's actually going to do when he gets in office right are these real set positions but in his suggestions you know that he's going to build a wall and he's going to be so tough on immigration he's going to kick everybody out and not very many people are going to get back in and everyone's worried about this um, I don't think his immigration policy is correct and it is potentially if he does it the way he's been talking about it it's going to ruin the lives of many innocent people but Is the answer to that going out in the streets and, you know, committing violent acts against Trump supporters that are going to a rally? No. Let's try reason and persuasion again. So what's the either or here? The either or is reason or force. And we are seeing more and more people in our culture eagerly getting behind the use of force. Less directly with the, you know, jobless people who are on the dole taking our tax dollars and then using those tax dollars and sending them to Bernie Sanders to support more of the same theft. That, of course, is a resorting to force, although indirectly and not quite as directly as this. And then, like I said, the, um, you know, the violence pro and anti-Trump is, is getting really, really scary. So that was um, kind of the thought for tonight's show. The, the either or that I was seeing where you are either going to use reason and persuasion. And of course, persuasion includes the use of money, voluntary trade when you want to get something. But on the other hand, you know, on the other side of it is the use of force. And we are seeing that, um, you know, we're seeing that in spades, unfortunately out there. It's really, really scary now. So at the fundamental level, Uh, You could actually say the either-or alternative and the either-or alternative that's at the base of morality, you know, according to Rand. For those people who don't listen to the show very often, uh, I give it from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, objectivism. And objectivism is fairly unique in that it provides an absolutist morality that has nothing to do with religion. Rand was an atheist. And so on what does she base her morality? She base it on the fundamental alternative, the fundamental either or, which is life or death. And she says, you know, she observes as she looks out in the world, that it's only living things that can pursue values, that the actual concept of value has its root in that alternative to, of life and death. And, um, You know, so for human beings, what is it that makes value possible? It is the use of our rational faculty. We must use our reason to create all the values that sustain human life. So if you go through the basic three, you know, the food, clothing, shelter, and think of the examples and think of how the clothing got in your closet and the beautiful blueberries or blackberries got into your grocery store, um, and how your house got built and it happens to stand even though there's huge big spaces that you're able to stand under that how does it not, not fall down right? reason is the thing that gives rise to all of this and reason does not work at the point of a gun now you could say okay well there's a whole lot of people right now having guns pointed at them by government and yet they're still going on and they're producing human values but what I'm saying, and I think I ask you to observe as you look out at the world, is to the extent that force is being applied in various sectors of the economy, those sectors of the economy are less and less productive. Things are more and more expensive. Take the tech sector, which is relatively unregulated compared to, for instance, the financial services Sector, right? In banking right now, you can get negative interest rates essentially when you put your money in for checking accounts and things like this. You are paying for them to store your money. It's so horribly, horribly inefficient, overregulated. Whereas if I go to one of my favorite companies, Apple, they keep giving me more bang for my buck year after year after year. So, um, you know, just again, I'm giving you little snippets. If you haven't heard this before, think about it as you go through your daily life and observe and and see if what I say is right. Of course, go back and read some of Rand's essays and revisit the points and see, you know, some of the guides that she gives you. She has an essay. It's called The Objectivist Ethics, and you can find it free online, The Objectivist Ethics. And she goes through the whole base of ethics and life as the standard and reason as our means of survival and all of that. So you can follow the, you know, the in, the inductive argument that she gives for that through that essay. Um, so, the, so again, at the base of ethics, either or is life or death. And if you bring it into morality, it's essentially reason, rationality versus irrationality, right? Rationality versus irrationality. If you look at the level of individual morality, I'm either going to be rational or I'm going to be irrational, Then if you go to the level of human interaction and politics, right, as we come into society, that's when you start looking at reason versus force. And force, of course, would include fraud, all of the types of fraud that people could commit as well. But reason versus force. And that's where we are at the level of politics. If you want to look at it at the level of a government And the function of government, you could say it's limited government, where government is limited to the function of protecting individual rights versus government that does initiate force against its citizens in order to achieve what they always say are various noble ends. You know, just a little bit of force. We'll just use a little bit of force here, but it's all going to be wonderful because we're going to do all these wonderful, noble, altruistic things, right? Um, But again, you know, what's the dichotomy? It's a limited government where the government's function is to protect individual rights, where you have police, courts, military, or on the other hand, where you have either, you know, a mixed economy like we do today or slide further and further towards socialism, where government is not limited by any principle of individual rights and, in fact, is on the principle of stealing. Rob Abiera over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio has posted a link to that essay, The Objectivist Ethics, so you can check that out if you want to. You can read it for free and, you know, again, follow the train of Rand's argument. It is unique in the sense that it gives a foundation for an absolute morality Based entirely on a secular argument and it is a a rigorous morality too so do do check it out Um, so so yeah so if we enter that realm of government government function we say okay limited versus unlimited limited by a constitution based on individual rights like we had in essence at our founding you know were, were the founding fathers perfect no they did condone slavery in those founding documents, and that needed to be rooted out. But in essence, right, the root that was needed to get slavery out of our system was there. This respect for individual rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, almost being the most fundamental, right? If you have the right to pursue your own happiness, that is the most individual of rights. Um, so, so let's look, you know, for instance, at Trump. New York Times has an article just published yesterday. Headline is, Donald Trump could threaten U.S. rule of law. And this is scholars who are of the conservative or what they call libertarian persuasion. Um, And what are they saying in terms of him threatening the rule of law? He has attacked the press. He has complained about our judicial system. And they say he has made bold claims of presidential power and that all of these, according to the Times article, collectively sketch out a constitutional worldview that shows contempt for the First Amendment, the separation of powers, and the rule of law. And why are all these important? The First Amendment, of course, is the foundational right, the right to freedom of expression. Again, if we're thinking of either or in the terms of reason and persuasion on the one hand versus force on the other, if you do not have the First Amendment, of course you're going to resort to force and thuggery on the streets. And if we have a candidate who is expressing contempt for the First Amendment, who is expressing an intent not to uphold the First Amendment, that is just going to inspire The type of conduct that we've seen. Uh, Why is separation of powers important? Separation of powers is a technique right that our founding fathers decided was incredibly important in order to have government consistently over time serve the purpose of protecting individual rights. Okay Um, why is that you need to have this system of checks and balances? No system no system that they could set up where you've got actual human actors acting with discretion none of them are going to be immune to either you know individuals who are themselves corrupt in some way or overall errors of ideology that would occur over time they could not have foreseen for example the influence that Immanuel Kant and altruism would end up having through pragmatism etc on our system. And what you hope with the separation of powers is that if you've got one branch of government taken over by a you know either an evader or a thug or somebody who just ends up for whatever reason having the wrong ideology that maybe you're going to be saved, that rights are going to continue to be protected due to the checks in another branch. We have hoped that we were going to get that from our Congress, from the House, from the Senate, that they were actually going to serve as a check on, you know, Barack Obama's excesses. But the Republicans have not done that much. And the last thing I heard is Paul Ryan has now endorsed Trump in exchange for nothing, nothing that anybody knows of anyway, right? Who knows what it is behind the scenes? Um But yeah, so separation of powers is something, it's not itself a fundamental principle per se, but it is something that the founding fathers and actually Rand, I think, correctly uh, thought also that this was correct, um, that the founding fathers thought that this was necessary in order to have our government continue to operate on the principle of individual rights. You need the checks and balances and you need the separation of powers. So insofar as Trump is trying to break that down and get rid of it, he is an enemy of individual rights. He is instead going on the premise of force and, you know, force based on, I guess, his whim. Who knows? Rule of law. Rule of law itself is also necessary in order to uphold the, individ- the principle of individual rights, right? Again, it is that principle of individual rights that is central to all of these. Um, you know, the, the, the rule of law lets you know that you are, your conduct is going to be judged. That you are subject to punishment under law, etc. According to objective rules that are, you know, published, made accessible to you. That you're aware in advance what sort of conduct is going to have you, uh, you know, run afoul of the law, etc. It is a basic principle of objective law. So all of these, if, if you know, Trump is. Showing himself to be an enemy of the First Amendment, an enemy of the separation of powers, an enemy of the rule of law. He is showing that he does not operate on freedom of association, freedom of trade, reason, persuasion, living in peace with your fellow man. Instead, he is on the premise of using force in the government and, you know, squelching the ability of people to use reason and persuasion throughout the country. And what is, what, you know, what alternatives do you have? If reason and persuasion are out, it's just using force yourself. And he seems very happy to have that happen. And why is it? I guess, because he's got the secret service guys protecting him, but he's going to leave us. Those of us who don't have the secret service following us around all day. He's going to leave us at the mercy of those incited thugs, those empowered thugs, uh, out on the streets. So it's really, really sad. Yeah, just Gene in the chat room says, Paul Ryan has now said that he would vote for Trump. And as I understand from one article that I saw a headline of, I couldn't even click on the headline because I was so disgusted. It said, he traded his support of Trump for nothing. Arjun says that Trump's rationalizations of his intended tyranny are reminiscent of those of the People's Republic of China. Hmm. Yeah. Um, If you do want to call in and talk about what I've been talking about or any of the stories on the program notes, again, go to DontLetItGo.com. You can see the program notes that I've got lined up for today's show. The number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817 if you do want to chime in. Um, but, you know, what is it that he's actually going to do? People are saying, you know, Donald Trump with a pen and a phone, who knows what he's going to do, says Ilya Shapiro. Um, he has said he would loosen the libel laws to make it easier to sue news organizations. Now, you know, I've, I've in the past, right, I think it was just last week, actually, right, I was talking about Peter Thiel, and insofar as, as, as he's using Current laws concerning privacy, libel, slander, if they're using those to sue the news organizations, I do not think that's a threat to free speech. But if you, quote, loosen libel laws or you, quote, loosen privacy laws to make it easier than it is now to sue news organizations, I'm pretty sure that if you diverge from what we've already got, then you would be threatening freedom of speech right what my premise last time was that if you have valid laws about libel and slander and privacy that it's not a threat to free speech to sue news organizations under those laws Um, he's encouraged rough treatment of demonstrators they point out here in this article as well proposing to bar all Muslims from entry into the country, if it tests the Constitution's guarantee of religious freedom, et cetera. Uh, you know, I think that Ted Cruz had a much more principled stand on Muslim immigration, that he would ban some Muslim immigration from some countries where you saw a connection uh, directly between the religion and the willingness to use force against you know, either Westerners in general or opponents of the religion in particular, et cetera, um, you know, where you where you saw that not just, that they weren't just religious, but they were translating that religion into violence. Anywhere you see that, yes, you need to ban the immigration. But if you're going to do it in general, that's a whole different step. And then they say, and in, in what is considered a tipping point for some, you know, lawyers, conservatives and libertarian types Trump has attacked Judge Gonzalo P. Curiel of the Federal District Court in San Diego, who is overseeing two class actions against Trump University. It says, Mr. Trump accused the judge of bias, falsely said he was Mexican, and seemed to issue a threat. Here's a quote from Trump. He says, they ought to look into Judge Curiel, because what Judge Curiel is doing is a total disgrace, Mr. Trump said. He says, okay, but we will come back in November. Wouldn't that be wild if I am president and come back and do a civil case? End quote. David Post, who's a retired law professor who now writes for the Volat Conspiracy, a conservative-leaning blog, says the New York Times. They said that those comments had crossed a line. And here's a quote from Post. Quote, this is how authoritarianism starts with a president who does not respect the judiciary, Mr. Post said. Uh, continuing with Post's quote, he says, you can criticize the judicial system, you can criticize individual cases, you can criticize individual judges, but the president has to be clear that the law is the law and that he enforces the law. That is his constitutional obligation, end quote. And he says, if this and if he is signaling that this is not his position, He says that's a very serious constitutional problem, and it is. Um, Here's a quote also from Randy Barnett about Trump and his ideas about the Constitution. Uh, Barnett says, quote, you would like a president with some idea about constitutional limits on presidential powers, on congressional powers, on federal powers. And he says, and I doubt he has any awareness of such limits. Again, either government is limited, and in particular limited by the principle of individual rights, or it is not. And if it's not limited by that principle of individual rights, then it's on the premise of initiating force against citizens or condoning citizens who initiate force against each other and sitting back and doing nothing, which is perhaps even scarier. I've got a call that I'm going to go ahead and take here. Hi, who's this? Bosch. Hi, Bosch, How are you doing? Very good. How are you? Doing okay.
1: Just some, a few things uh, in terms of uh, this election. When uh, Ted Cruz left, when, you know, my interest for this election, really left. Yeah, uh, we I do blame stuck you. With these. I, mean, I mean, it's true. If you really think about it, I mean, it was exciting that you had a, a decent human being in the race who understood the country understood our freedoms, understood that we had to roll back government and understood the problem that is Washington. And we don't have that anymore. Now we have these um, I don't know I don't. Know what to call it. the worst of the worst and then you have Gary Johnson there who actually said the old down if you call it, he agrees with 73, 73% of what Bernie Sanders Bernie stands for. Did you hear about that?
0: No, I did not.
1: Yeah, he literally said that. He literally said he, he agrees with 70%, 73% of what Bernie Sanders uh, Bernie you, Panders.
0: You, you, you call him Bernie Panders. Did you just start doing yeah. that? Okay, that's pretty I
1: clever. I made a cartoon about it a little while
0: ago. Excellent.
1: But anyway, uh, uh, and then, you know, this this idea with Trump, right? He says, bar Muslims, right? And then he said, one interview? Well, except for his rich Muslim Muslim buddies, you know? And hmm. then he says also about, yeah, yeah he, he literally said that. He goes, I have rich Muslim friends. Yeah, you know, I'll let them in and He said that literally in uh, MSNBC or CMC, whatever, one of the interviews. It's
0: cronyism at its worst.
1: No, but it's ridiculous. And then he says also, um, you know, uh, the whole idea that everyone who comes to me to say he's more anti-Islam than anyone, he says literally, I love the Muslims. That's how he refers to them. I love the Muslims. And as you know, and as everyone else knows, but some who don't know, you know, he's so opposed to Muhammad cartoons that basically – he uh, accused those of us in Garland of provoking the attack on us and said that we were lucky to be alive. And I just, I have not paid attention to this election since really Ted Cruz has left. I almost just see some certain websites. I used to go to, you know, a number of websites, right. The Rights com was really promoting uh, Cruz. I cannot go to Drug Report ever again. I just, I, I forgot about it. Uh, it was so pro Trump, it was embarrassing. And also mm-hmm. a few of the other websites, Breitbarts. Uh, Anyway, just the point is, uh, this is what we're
0: stuck and it's
1: just to me, it's shocking. Mean,
0: what do you, what do you, know, what, you, know, do you uh, what do you think about, what do you think though about my my argument? So I'm thinking on this level of reason versus force, and that we are seeing such a yeah. you know kind of unabashed embrace of force in the main two political parties and in the supporters of the main two political parties that you almost want to go Johnson. And you know, it's funny, I, I, I keep uh, resisting saying this, but I'm thinking of like a stoner Johnson supporter that's like the least violent person ever, ever. You know, right. the, this, this person poses no threat to me practically. Now they, they yeah. do have, they have some errors, right? And so there are going to be some, you know, obviously many elements of the so-called mixed economy that would continue under a Johnson presidency. So, you know, I'm not under right. any delusions. But nonetheless, yeah, but, yeah, there's, but, yeah, but, just, there's just not that overt embrace of violence that there is no. in both of the two main parties right now.
1: Yeah, and, and also they these uh, creatures, Trump, Panders, Clinton, they make Johnson look like a human being, like a decent oh, yeah. human being. No, he, he is, is a, a decent human being. He is no, 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 a no, no, no. human being. He is. No, 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 I know that. I know. one mean,
0: dude, he climbed like the seven tallest peaks and he made to Everest where people I'm, die. And-
1: I'm shocked. You, you, know, you know what? Well, I think half of them died, maybe because, you know, he comes out there and he's like, he's not quite there. That's why I made oh. a pulse of gotcha. Oh, Oh But no, but, he, no, but he's not quite he's not quite there. He's not. Uh-huh. He's not present. He's the he's the worst. You know what? If he had someone else to maybe represent him, like so like like uh, like, you know, someone with energy like he needs and someone to with hire a little
0: me. What? Yes, he needs yes. to hire me. Yes.
1: And yeah. I, I just say I'm Gary Johnson. Go out there, but you know, a little more energy, a little more oomph. But he's could, such I a could bad candidate.
0: A White House spokesperson, and I would do a damn good that's job. Right. Yeah,
1: that's right. He's, he's he's a decent human being, but you know what? Cruz was a decent human being, and he was smart. And he was passionate, and he was strong. No, no, no. I, I mean, was yeah, I was,
0: I was Cruz while he was, you know, while he was still in the race. No, no, I was for him. No, and now that he's out, but it's when I'm going for this guy.
1: They, yeah. they just make him look good. They're so bad, they make this guy look good. This guy is not, is not good. I mean, he's, he's a lousy politician. He can't even present himself well. And he, you're right. He did climb the mountains. He did. He, he's uh, very, you know, successful and whatnot, but he can't sell it. Right. He's mealy mouthed and then again, he agrees 70 73% of what Bernie Bernie Sanders says. What does that mean? I
0: mean, yeah. what the hell does that mean? Yep.
1: Anyway, no, I, so I just it's I mean, just the lack of interest for me personally. is just ever, ever since Cruz left, I just and you know about about Trump also. It's horrific to see his supporters attacked. I mean, it really is. It's it's intolerable. And then and then you find Trump, and he probably thinks that that's intolerable too, right? But when it comes to Muslims attacking, you know, others over free speech like they did with us in Poland, he has a problem with that, that we provoked it. So this guy, just it's, it's its about basically if they attack me, it's bad. If they attack others, it's fine. And yeah, it's, no, and that and that's, that's,
0: that's exactly the way the cronyist thinks, too, you know, it's, as long as yeah. as long as it's for him. Um, Bosh, I've got another call that I'm going to go ahead and grab, but okay. thanks for calling in, and we'll talk again. Um, Let me go ahead, and I have another caller I'll pick up now. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this?
2: Hi, this is Charles.
0: Charles, Um, welcome to the show.
2: Hello. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, Bosch laid out some points about Gary Johnson that I wanted to talk about and maybe elucidate some more on. I mean, I have problems with Gary Johnson. I mean, there's no, uh, you know, Cruz was the best, without a doubt.
1: Right. Cruz
2: was... I mean, he's miles ahead, light years ahead of Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson on the John Stossel show said that, you know, in his view, um, if, you know, a neo Nazi walked into. A yeah, Jewish you know, I watched.
0: I watched the video. I watched the video of that, right? And basically, you know, he was saying he's going to continue the anti discrimination laws as they exist now which would mean that they uh, prohibit discrimination on religious grounds, right? And then when he was asked, he says, well, does that mean that the, you know, Jewish baker would have to bake the Nazi cake or whatever? He says, well, yeah, I guess that's what it means. So it's not like he's like, yeah, I want to have that. But he, he is not principled, right? But, you know, the, the question is when you've got the pragmatist of Gary Johnson and what are his... Um, kind of instincts. His instincts are freedom and let people alone generally, right? And, but if you look at, you know, for instance, I guess Trump you could say in some ways is a pragmatist, but his instincts are all cronyist and using government power to achieve essentially his whims. And then you've got in you know, the, uh, either Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders camp, you're going to have government force used to achieve altruistic, overtly collectivist. And so it's, you know, when, when you talk about, okay, there is lack of principle, yes, there is still going to be initiation of force by government against people under a Johnson-Weld administration, but it is going to be, I would say, light years better than what you would see under either Trump or Clinton, which both of which are pretty scary right now. I mean, would would you agree with that or you think Johnson is, you know, so flawed that he poses more of a risk than those other two? What
2: I what I agree with is, is I'm at the position where the only person I feel that I know what I'm going to get from is, is uh, Hillary. I think I know Hillary. I think I know she's I know what she's going to do. She's going to continue this foreign policy of appeasement an apology, and she's going to, you know, continue government expansion. She's going to continue uh, a lot of what Obama did, executive overreach and all this kind of stuff. With Trump, there are certain things, you know, Trump is, is so full of crap that i don't know i mean i really don't know what he would do i don't know if he would do some things that will pleasantly surprise us or some things that are way way off the wall that's what i suspect i suspect he'd be a mixed bag i suspect there's be some things that will will go well that's fine and then there'll be other things that are just horrific and horrendous and then with gary johnson um you know he's a guy who exploded the debt when he was governor of New Mexico it exploded he it, it was about 3.2 or 3.4 billion i forget the exact figures uh when he came in that was the budget when he left it was you know 7.8 so this is a guy who exploded the budget 150% he you know he likes to do all these kind of you know uh this kind of politician thing where he goes well we're not counting yeah, that's if you count federal spending and if you count this or if you count that and you subtract this and you just go whatever you know i mean uh, as, as governor the fact remains is that the budget was 3.2 or 3.4 when you came in and it was 7.6 when you left no matter what, how you what, want to cut it
0: what was what was the deficit though
2: uh, I'm not sure about the deficits. I, I, I but, think the
0: deficits. From what, from what I understand, who you know, people who have looked at his track record, they say his record is quite good and impressive. So yeah,
2: there's a national, there's a whole national review article on it. I don't have it in front of me, but it seemed pretty solid. They had all the facts and the figures of what he did as governor. But yeah. at the same time, going back to the Stossel show. Um, you know, he affirmatively – what it seemed to me is that he affirmatively supported uh, – I, I didn't get the notion that he was saying, well, those are the laws on the books, and as president, I'm going to enforce them, law, a- these anti-discriminatory laws. No, but, yeah, I got, I got you know, the
0: impression f- that he was in favor of continuing those. It wasn't like he was going to yeah, institute a new law, right?
2: Yeah, in order to protect Muslims, he made – I think he made forthright. He said they would – un. Doubt well, he gave, he, he gave
0: it. Against. He gave it as an example, and of course, I don't agree with that example either. So I'm not telling you. You know, yeah, I agree with Gary Johnson on that. That is probably one of the most yucky things I've I've heard him say, right? But when you talk about uh, eliminating various departments of government, you know, a few shows ago I went through Gary Johnson on the issues, and there was a lot of good stuff. If you go to his site and look at issues. There's a lot of good stuff there, including getting government out of education, which is one of the most important things. Um, He's excellent on privacy, excellent on First Amendment, very, very important things. So, um, yeah, you know, Uh,
2: but, but my conclusion, though, is that, I mean, Johnson and Trump and Hillary is that we don't really have, you know, a golden candidate. Mm-hmm. And when people ask me what to do, I say, I don't know, you know, sit, sit at home, write somebody in, vote for Trump, vote for Hillary. If you're a conservative and you think Trump is so horrific and you'd rather have the devil, you know, which is Hillary, because you know what she's going to be like. I mean, I just don't know what to do. And it's it's very demoralizing and it's it's very upsetting. And I'm I'm kind of like where Bosch is on this uh, on this subject. But it just seems to me that no matter what, uh, you know, I don't think Johnson has a shot in hell regardless. I mean, if he did, I mean, I'd I'd definitely vote for him. I might sit at home, uh, which I'm leaning towards now. I just don't know what to do. But the point is, is that we're going to have to write out the next four to eight years and just fight whatever, you know, mess is in there and wherever this is going to go. And I just hope.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, we no, may have ahead. to do some kind of writing campaign or something. But go ahead. You said you just hope what? I'm sorry.
2: No, I just hope that over the next four years, I mean, this country will wise up. I mean, it didn't. It took eight years of Obama to not wise up. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how far down we're going to have to go. And if we go down far enough, if we'll ever be able to get back up.
0: But, right, right. Uh, and this it, is this is really kind of one of the things that I wanted to come back to on this either-or theme, right? Because... Here we are, we're going further and further down the spiral of people choosing force over reason and persuasion, right? And it's getting so bad that the supporters of these political candidates on the streets are resorting to open violence here in the United States. It is really terrible, really depressing. And the question is, you know, are we going to be able to pull out of this? Are, you know... Those of us who, for example, are enabling any of this to go on, are we able to withdraw our support and just kind of let the steam go out of all this stuff? And then how do we do that, right? How do you, for example, withdraw support from the system that is, you know, using force uh, on everybody? How do you actually do that? You know, these, these are the big questions. Can we do it before it's too late? Um, so, so you're, you're thinking what you think another four years is going to educate people with what eight years of Obama couldn't do.
2: I think, um, I I really don't know how bad things have to get. I, I would hope, uh, that, you know, I think most people are, are too enamored, uh, and life is still too good and they're too enamored with their smartphones and all, you know, which is, you know, the glory of capitalism. You know, capitalism has brought about this abundance and this uh, easy living. But uh, I'm afraid that, uh, unfortunately, I don't know if people will wake up before this debt, you know, turns us into some kind of, uh, you know, kind of a third world situation here where you have social...
0: who is going to do the most drastic thing about the debt, at least as he promises, and that's Gary Johnson, right? That is the first thing, as I recall, looking at his issues page that he says is intolerable is the amount of debt. So I think if, if debt is really high on your mind in terms of what's going to turn us into Venezuela, for example, um, Johnson might be the way to go for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would hope uh... But I, I don't know. I, I maybe I don't know if you know, but I recall him saying something about throwing throwing it to the states in some way, or letting the states kind of tackle this problem with the feds. I'm not. I don't recall. I, I remember reading something. Do you, have you heard of that?
0: Where they're going to do the fifth uh, fifth article, Article no. Five convention? No, no, no.
2: It, no, Gary Johnson was talking about this in regards to helping with the debt. Some something about uh, de- dealing with it with the states. Hmm. I what the what state I
0: understand and- at least is that he would do a completely balanced budget, and so he would lop off forty percent off the budget across the board. And that would be pretty amazing yeah. if you could do that, or at least that would be the default starting point. Is that it would be forty percent flat out of everything, and then I guess maybe you could tweak it a little bit here and there after that. But it the, you know promises a balanced budget, which would at least stop the debt from expanding. And then I guess you could work. I haven't heard about the strategies maybe to, quote, pay back the debt or or whatever and how that would work. But what I do know, and I've talked about this before, you know, some people talk about having rich people write extra checks to the government. And I would never, if I had all the money in the world, I would never write an extra cent to our government right now because there is absolutely no plan to curb the spending and curb the rate of increase of, of the debt. It would be like enabling a drug addict right now, right? If you were to give any sort of donation to, quote, pay down the debt of the government, unless in, in and until you know that they've gone through recovery, that they're on a plan to sustain themselves sober in the long term, then there'd be absolutely no extra money. It wouldn't be moral to do it. You see what I mean?
2: Yeah. And I yeah. think... I think that, yeah, I mean, on that score, Johnson would be the best. But the other issue is that I don't know what can be done with these Republicans. I think these Republicans are are just turncoats. I think they're traitorous and they're vile, and they'd probably put up more of a fight and side with the Democrats uh, than they did with Obama under, uh, uh, you know, I think if Cruz had been elected or if Gary Johnson is, is dead serious and he actually pushes for a 40% cut, I think he would encounter unbelievable resistance from both parties. And I don't know if he would be. But you know who would be, be an awesome
0: uh, an awesome ally of, of his in the Senate with regard to that would be Cruz and, you know, Lee yeah. and, and other good ones. So, you know, we we don't know. There are many months left to go, and Johnson's already got a significant amount of attention behind him. And as people see, you would hope at least that if they're seeing the violence behind these other two candidates, that they would maybe choose the the relative peace loving Johnson. At least that's my thought. Um, Charles, anything else before I let you go? And I'm going to turn back to my program notes here.
2: Uh, no, that's all. Thank you for elucidating me and taking my call.
0: Well, no, thank you for calling in and, and elucidating me here on a Saturday night where sometimes I can use a little bit of elucidation. Um, take the power back is, as far as I know, a new listener hanging out here in the chat room. Welcome. Uh, could we actually keep a debt ceiling for once? Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing if we could actually do that? That would be wonderful. Um In fact, one of the things that I've got here in the program notes, thanks to Rob Abiera, I've got so much thanks to him this week, is there's a Do Your Job Act that Congressman Jim Bridenstine, I guess he's from Oklahoma, that he has co-sponsored. And one of the things that they're talking about is not funding government through all of these continuing resolutions and these horrible things that fail to even maintain a debt ceiling. You could do that. Under a Johnson presidency, at least if he keeps to his campaign promises, um, I'm going to skip on the program notes. There's a couple other Trump stories. There's this funny one about um, one of Trump's female construction engineers talks about her experience working for, for him. And one of the funny things is, you know, he says that he's the "you're fired" guy, right? He fires people. It, apparently, within Trump's organization, it's sort of well known that Trump delegates the job of firing people to other people so that if you are somebody who is reporting directly to Trump and where Trump would have to fire you, you might have your job for life and never get fired. It's kind of funny. Talk about a rejection of the either or, you know, you either are contributing to an organization or you're not right. And if he can't even fire, that is a rejection of the either, or also on a fundamental level. There's another one about North Korea is praising Trump and urging U.S. voters to reject the, quote, dull Hillary, which is pretty funny that you've got a uh, communist praising Trump. Another rejection of the use of reason and persuasion, or the use of the rule of law. Uh, as I was talking about earlier, there's this horrific story at the UCLA campus this week. I'm an alum of UCLA. And so when you were watching on the news, there was the math sciences building that was part of the picture for quite a while where they were clearing out that building and everything. Math sciences was connected to engineering by some sort of, you know, bridge or whatever. I forget those huge, huge, vast, complicatedly structured buildings, uh, the math sciences and the engineering one that it was connected to. But um You know, I was a math major there at UCLA, so all this was very familiar to me, very scary. The idea of somebody coming onto a campus and shooting a former professor, supposedly because he was accusing that former professor of stealing some computer code that he had written. Talk about rejection of the rule of law, the rejection of the use of reason and persuasion and the embracing of force, and you know, if you think it's justice, vigilante justice, scary, scary stuff. I do have a link to the latest development in there. Uh, LA Times has been reporting on this story, like I said, in, in some depth. And the latest is that there were two professors who were down the hall from the professor who was shot, and these two professors, they I guess figured it out that it was going on in this one other professor's office. They knew that this other professor was not a person probably to commit suicide, that it was probably a shooter in that room. And they went ahead and held the office door shut, trapped the shooter in there, and then as a result, it looks like the shooter then committed suicide on himself. So, you know, fitting end for a horrible, horrible person who I guess also killed his own wife before driving out to UCLA and doing this. So, You know, again, either or. You either use reason, persuasion, rule of law, or you use force. And we see people, unfortunately, embracing the latter. Government embracing force. Here's a story that involves that from the Reason.com website. Appeals court has said, no warrant needed to get cell phone location data. Says, chalk up another win for the third-party doctrine. I'm glad that Reason is actually talking about the doctrine that's making all of this possible—the third-party doctrine. It says the Fourth U.S. Courts of Appeal in Virginia has ruled in a 12-to-3 vote that cell phone users do not have an expectation of privacy with their location data, and that police can get information from phone companies without a warrant. Now, what in the world do they mean by this? Just give you the brief synopsis. I've done it. For those of you who listen to my show, I've done this many times and talked about this. But the theory is that because you love using your Apple phone so much that you, in order to get the convenience of, you know, the Google Maps or any of the other location-based services, because you are sharing your location data with these third parties, Google Maps, Apple, whoever who's giving you these little services on your phone, then therefore you give up all Fourth Amendment protection in that information. You've shared it, and then they say, well, you do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy in that, and therefore it's not covered by the Fourth Amendment. And I say this is ridiculous, this is garbage, um, that today we share information with these so-called third parties for limited purposes, right? It is for the purpose of receiving that service from the service provider. It does not mean that I therefore am relinquishing all expectation of any privacy with respect to this data. Even if I expect that the third party is going to share it with other businesses, it doesn't mean that I should be giving up my expectation of privacy vis-a-vis the government, that you know suddenly the warrant requirement of the Fourth Amendment can be thrown out the window, and I have no privacy whatsoever, and we're in 1984. But that's exactly what the Fourth Circuit here is saying. Shame on them. They all need these judges. They need to read my article on the third party doctrine, how you can eliminate this doctrine. You can still have you know all of the legitimate government investigation conducted with secret agents and all the things that gave rise to this doctrine. Go read my article if you, if you want to learn more about it. But you actually can get rid of this so-called third-party doctrine. You can still keep the ability of government to use secret agents and all the good stuff that you need to fight the Tony Sopranos of the world. And we can have our privacy. We can have our Fourth Amendment protection. Yes, we can have it all. This is shameful and horrible. And what are they choosing here? Again, they are choosing force over limited government. They're choosing mass surveillance versus privacy based on contract and property rights, which is what I advocate for. We should have privacy based on our contracts with these service providers, and that should need a warrant in order to invade. what else do we have? Actually, you know, we have a little bit of semi-good news. It was horrible, ominous news earlier in the week, and then suddenly we've seen that this bill that was threatened to be passed here in California is being shelved. Uh, some people were sharing this with me, a number of people, but I think I got this one, this latest development from Rob Abiera. The California Senate has actually was actually threatening to pass a bill, and what would it do? it would lay the groundwork for a campaign of lawsuits against so-called climate change deniers. This bill, Senate Bill 1161, was called the California Climate Science Truth and Accountability Act of 2016. It had passed two committee hurdles, and what it would do is it would retrospectively lift, which is now a four-year statute of limitations, it would allow unlimited lawsuits, under the unfair competition, blah, 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 over advocacy related to climate change, which would mean all of these think tanks that question the so-called consensus on climate change or, you know, um, human generated global warming, whatever the thing is that you want to call the the big, bad, horrible beast this week, right? Um, Anybody who questions the so-called collective wisdom on this could have been sued, can you believe this, for just expressing a legitimate difference of opinion on a scientific issue, something that's available for everybody to go investigate by themselves. This is ridiculous. It's not fraud. It is science, and it's opinions about science. Anybody can investigate for themselves, even if you are not telling the truth about it then you could be exposed because the facts about this are available to everyone right everybody can go out there and look at the climate data and this and that now if you're lying about climate data that's another thing right but if you have a certain interpretation of the climate data and you have a a, you know a theory about climate change and whether humans and carbon dioxide are causing horrible things or it's going to be catastrophic damage in the future it's just going to be a little bit of change whatever your theory is it's based on data. As long as you are not actually fudging the data, why could you be prosecuted or, you know, sued for having a theory about this stuff? It's completely antithetical to freedom of expression. And as I said, it's choosing force over persuasion. This is people speaking, you know, again, you know, it, here, talk about showing your, uh, you know, bearing your fish, showing your claws. I, I can't come up with a metaphor at this hour, but... You know, these people are showing they have no argument, that they are resorting to force where force has absolutely no place at all. Like I said, you know, even if there are people out there lying about this in the sense of that they are coming out with false theories of it, it's theories based on data that everybody can go check for themselves. You've got peer review. You've got the ability to publish your own view on this and counter it. Um, It's different. You know, for example, then like a company telling them, telling a story about their internal operations, which is accessible only to them. Right. This this should not be open to lawsuit. This is an opinion about a scientific fact out in the world and everybody should be able to have theirs. Everybody should be able to express it. And if not, you are killing the First Amendment. I was ready to try to help uh, Steve Simpson from the Ayn Rand Institute. Tie this up in legal challenges, or I could go help Tim Sandifer do it, or whoever. I would volunteer, but now it looks like it's not necessary. Thankfully, that they've shelved this for for some reason. Um, now, what do we got here? Oh, it's only five after nine that uh, I'm looking here on the clock. So we're actually doing pretty good. Uh, take the power back, says. How evil is that bill? There's a nice Orwellian name for it. Yeah, the Orwellian name of the bill is quite apt climate science truth and accountability act i'd like to know how you expect to get to truth unless you allow all of the various arguments to be made and to be played out but no it's not truth it is the you know dictated view by the government um Arjun in the chat room says they're sticking up the people who disagree with them to get consensus out of them. Yeah, uh, John says I have a concern that this tactic of bringing force to bear on individuals might spread to things other than just the climate change argument. Yes, of course it would. Can you imagine the same thing could happen with respect to gun safety statistics or, you know, how gun ownership actually saves uh, lives, you know, in Cases like home invasions and all those types of things. Uh, Yeah, Michael in the chat room agrees with John. It is. It's just a trial balloon. They want to see how far they can go with this. Climate change is something that they can even get Gary Johnson on board to some extent. You know, again, the best of the current candidates who's there. Portland School District says selfishness. The Portland School District has banned any questioning of man-made climate change. By the way, I remember... I was teaching an education law class one time, and in California law, there's actually, um, you know, there's certain values that are supposed to be upheld, and one of them is the necessary, you know, the necessity of conserving the environment. That that is actually part of the code in the state of California that tells so-called public schools, government schools how they should operate and what should be in the curriculum, that they, you should not question the necessity to conserve the environment, which is pretty revulsifying. Rob Abiera sent me another story, and this is opinion pages from New York Times, headline, Islamism, Islamism. I can't even say that word, it's so bleh. With that last uh, ism added to it. Islamism is Dead, Long Live Muslim Democrats is the headline. Uh, Islamism is Dead announced Saeed Ferjani, a leader of the progressive wing of Ennahda? Enhada? I don't know, I can't pronounce that, I'm sorry. Tunisia's main Islamist party, as we drank coffee in a hotel cafe here last month. Uh, Mr. Ferjani is a former hardliner who once plotted a coup against the regime of President Zin al Abidine bin Ali, and he was upbeat as he described the historic transition his party was about to make. The wing had combined with the party leadership to push through a raft of resolutions that would not only rebrand Anada, but also break with the tradition of political Islam that began with the Muslim Brotherhood, founded in Egypt in the late 1920s. He says, Islamism has been useful under the Ben Ali dictatorship, when, quote, our identity and sense of purpose was threatened by an authoritarian state, he says, now that it's engaged in an open legal party politics under a new constitution, competes for national leadership, they're going to get rid of this Islamist label, as they call it. It's more of a burden than a benefit. So then the question really is, right, so they're they're liberalizing, right? They're not going to be so hard-line, so political, so you know, enmeshed in the Sharia ideology, you might say. That's what Johnson might call it, right? Um, What do we think of this? Do we think that this is therefore going to make everything peachy keen, fine, and dandy? I would say no myself insofar as it's still based in that religion. What are you going to do? You're just going to end up leaving things open for the more consistent party to win you know at 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 root again if you if you read the Quran there are calls for violence there are calls for basically forceful enforcement of islamic doctrine and you know this idea that somehow you're going to democratize it and everything's going to be okay it's like having democratic socialism in my view but it just has to do with religion so um it's a nice idea. I mean, it's great if there's people who, again, you know, they don't want to directly kill me on the streets, perhaps. That's wonderful. It's a nice development. But in terms of, you know, what a government's going to do under that and how consistent they're going to be, I will wait and see. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty skeptical. Um Uh, Tim in the chat room is talking about the the last story, the California one. Isn't this like the Inquisition approach to science? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. Oh, people are are doing a a larger font battle here in the in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, I guess at at uh, this late hour, you gotta you want to use the the bigger font. It's easier to read that way, but. Oh, yeah, they're still talking about environmentalism. So Islamism is is a, is a little uh, off topic for the people here in the chat room. We'll, we shall see. You know what I want to do is um, I'm going to talk about a couple of good stories, and then I'm going to go into the little section that I had on the Atlas Shrugged spoilers, kind of in the, in the either or towards the end, applied to some of the main facts in Atlas Shrugged. But let me talk about a couple of the good stories first before we do that. One of them is about Apple, one of my favorite companies. and again thanks to Rob Abiera for this. Security news of the week, Apple hires a crypto guru for future battles with the feds. It says you are how you drive, we learned this week when researchers showed your car's computer can identify you based on patterns in your driving techniques. Wow, this is new, right? Because it doesn't take much data to do so, information collect, uh, collected from a car's brake pedal alone let the researchers distinguish the correct driver nine times out of ten. Patterns of a different sort also played a role in, map, in the map. Researchers have created to a track where government hackers around the world are spying on journalists, activists, lawyers, and NGOs. And it says, speaking of surveillance, whistleblower Edward Snowden also popped up in a Vice episode this week to show you how to make your phone, quote, go black so it's harder to surveil. So I think we're all going to go check that out. Again, links to all these shows, excuse me, links to all these stories, go to DontLetItGo.com. You can get the program notes. And they say, um, the new thing is that Apple is hiring a crypto guru. Uh, It says, as Apple's battle over the FBI, over the San Bernardino Shooters iPhone played out earlier this year, they vowed to find more ways to secure the devices. So eventually, even Apple itself would not be able to access customer data or help anyone else do it. And they say they're hiring some of the security world's top crypto talent. Uh, Apple this month hired, or rather rehired, John Callis, who has a long and storied career in crypto and security co-founded many of the top crypto firms including PGP, Silent Circle, and Blackphone, known variously for providing encrypted email, text, and voice communications. Woohoo! Bravo Apple. They say just as importantly, he worked for Apple in the past to secure its operating system, develop a whole disk encryption for Apple computers. Apple wouldn't say what Callus would be doing for the company, but it's fair to say the FBI in its continuing court battles with Apple should be worried. And as I said, we should all be happy, especially when we've got the courts continuing to upheld, uphold the uh, so-called third-party doctrine and making it so that we are relegated to these technological solutions. To me, these technological solutions are awesome insofar as we have a government which is dead set against recognizing that this third-party doctrine needs to go. It definitely needs to and like I said the other good news story was the so-called do your job act Um, it says members of Congress this is from uh, Jim Bridenstine of the uh, who, who actually represents Oklahoma in Congress he says members of Congress represent their constituents most directly when they work through the process of appropriating funds for government programs he says I have long objected to quote continuing resolutions and, quote, omnibus spending bills that sidestep this important representational process. So the Do Your Job Act is co-sponsored by Bridenstine, also um congressman from Ohio and Kentucky, et cetera. It requires Congress to engage in the appropriation process. It says if either the House or the Senate fails to vote, on all 12 regular annual appropriations bills by the end of the fiscal year members of that chamber will not get paid they won't get paid if they don't vote properly on appropriations bills they don't get paid i love it i think that's awesome i don't know what the prospects are for this bill um i would like to see if it actually is going to have Some success so keep us updated on that Rob okay Um, now John in the chat room in reaction to that little bit that I just read about being able to be identified by your driving patterns he says when I rent a car should I expect privacy or expect that I'm being tracked by my braking pattern you know when I was looking at that John I was thinking Okay, you can identify 9 out of 10 times who the driver is, but it's out of how many, right? So perhaps I have a pattern of braking, and I'm thinking, I actually, you know, I use signals in a way that's different from other people. I was told once that I use my turning signal pretty frequently, that I'm some sort of a compulsive turn signal person, Uh, I think there are worse things, right? There's nothing to me that's kind of more infuriating than somebody who doesn't use their turn signal or uses it only at the very last second. So you have no idea where in the world they are going. Um, So in any event, yeah, I, I know I probably distinctively break. I distinctively use a turn signal. Maybe there's, certain ways that I use the steering wheel or whatever. But I would think braking and turn signal usage are are probably more distinctive among people. But, yeah, I mean, is it going to narrow it down to just me out of hundreds of thousands of people, or is it going to narrow it down to just me in a group of 25, for example? So I don't know how much you could be tracked. But what I do know is that a particular rental car could itself have a GPS tracking device in it, and actually they often do. Um, this is one example that I had in a paper that I wrote once. Rental car companies often have some sort of either speed tracking device or a GPS or something so that they can track how, how, uh, how, if you speed while you're driving the car that you rented. And if you go above a certain speed while you're driving the car, it says in the fine print in your little rental agreement that they're going to charge you a penalty of some kind. And I think that's in part because you're putting their property at risk, right? You're renting their car. If you drive it above a certain speed, you are unnecessarily courting danger, maybe also risking uh, speeding tickets and things like this. So they want to, and maybe also damaging the car in certain cases too. I mean, sometimes they give you these wimpy cars that if you drive them, a certain speed you're actually putting too much wear and tear on the engine or who knows what it is but they they want to know and and I would say they have a right to know right you can choose to go to the rental car company that doesn't track your speed and doesn't have a GPS location device in it or anything like that um, you know again I can choose to go to Apple Who hires people like this guy, Callis, who's going to give me a lot more privacy in my device than if I go to another company? Um, You know, let the free market decide this stuff. I don't believe that your privacy, your interest in privacy, Trump's, pun not intended at all, because Trump has nothing to do with rights, but... Uh, you know, I don't believe that your interest in privacy trumps a rental car's company interest in preserving the property interest it has in the car, right? So, um, so yeah, you can expect to be tracked just by the company, though, right? When you drive a rental car, the only problem then, like, I don't have a problem if a rental car company knows where I'm driving the car. Particularly, I mean, it's you know that's not a big issue. The worst thing is that when that data is shared with the rental car company, then it goes over to the government too, and then we're in 1984. Obviously, no probable cause, no particular suspicion, no warrant required for the turnover of that data to the government. Okay. Um, So either or, either or on so many levels this week, you know, privacy versus mass surveillance, we've got um, and, and again, how do you have actual privacy? You have privacy only through the protection of individual rights, particularly rights to property and contract. Uh, we've seen in politics now an a, kind of an unabashed embrace of the initiation of force, not only by the politicians themselves, but unfortunately by their supporters in and around the rallies, right? Reason versus force. You have to choose, one versus the other. You're either operating on the realm of reason and persuasion or you're operating on the realm of force, right? Um, And once, once you give up reason and persuasion, then, uh, you know, human beings cannot live in a civilized way. They cannot be productive members of society insofar as force is being used against you to that extent, you are not going to continue to be able to be productive and create the human values required to sustain your life. So it's a very important issue. It's very disturbing. And like I said, there was the one listener who, who wrote in the chat room earlier, well, let's just hope you know that the Republicans and the Democrats all beat each other up. I do not. This is the saddest thing that you see when the resort to force is at the physical level on the streets. It's bad enough that it's indirectly via the agency of, of government. So it's it, it's horribly depressing. What I looked at, you know, just to kind of get a little bit more enlightenment on the either-or issue, is an essay written by Dr. Tara Smith, and it's in this collection, Essays on Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. I have the link over at the blog at DontLetItGo.com if you, if you want to get this. But she has an article in there, and I believe she also had a lecture, a conference that was based pretty much on this but it's called No Tributes to Caesar Good or Evil in Atlas Shrugged and in it and you know this is where we're going to start getting into the spoilers so if you do want to to tune out then probably this is going to be your time and I'll say I'll, I'll see you next week probably at this same time again at 8 o'clock on the Saturday because I'm having another schedule issue with a, a lot of summer school stuff going on so um, in, in any event you know returning to this she starts out with the issue of ethics and the either-or, the life-death alternative at the base of ethics. And she talks about within Atlas Shrugged, what is the primary issue that is motivating the heroes versus the villains in Atlas Shrugged? What is the either-or? And in fact, and again, I'm, gonna, I'm giving spoilers here, so if you have not read Atlas Shrugged, you're going to want to. Tune out at this point, okay? Uh, def- definitely hang up now and don't and don't listen anymore. But the 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 premise that's motivating the heroes versus the villains is either a choice to live, or essentially choosing death, right? And in the essay, what Smith explains is how, for instance, some of the kind of puzzling examples people you know people kind of question certain things that go on in the novel and, and whether they're really advisable, consistent, moral, uh, you know, in, in, terms of, in terms of Rand's view. And she says, well, they, they can be understand, understood more completely if you understand this alternative, right? And you can also understand why the strike makes sense if you understand that, you know, for example, the people out there really are destroyers that the people out there really are looters. For example, the use of the word looters. I don't know that looters has any more apt application than as applied to the Bernie Sanders supporters. Those of them, the quarter, again, LA Times says one quarter of Bernie Sanders donors don't have jobs. They are using the money stolen from us via our tax dollars to send to bernie sanders to pay for more theft that's about as looter as it comes right Um, but for example she says also if you understand this choice of life versus death and if you understand that insofar as you are one of the people refusing to shrug and the two people in the novel who have to learn that shrugging is the moral thing to do. The two people are, of course, Dagny and Hank Reardon. Those two need to learn. And, you know, Galt called Dagny his enemy, right? He said that Dagny was herself in part responsible for the dangerous condition of the world for him. When he ended up being in danger, it was in fact... Because of Dagny, even if she had well-meaning intentions, she was nonetheless enabling the destroyers and the looters, those people who would do Galt harm. And that ends up being, um, you know, as those of us who've who've read the novel know, it ends up being dramatized in a very, very stark way as uh, time went on. (sighs) I'm just going to quote one paragraph from the essay, and I do recommend that you read it because then, you know, and she goes on to talk about how you can apply the understanding of the life or death alternative of morality in our daily life. But as dramatized in the novel, she says, once you understand why the strike, for example, makes sense, right? Because if you refuse to strike, yeah, again, spoiler alerts here, definitely tune out. If you refuse to strike, then you are enabling the destroyers, you are enabling the looters, you are empowering evil if you refuse to strike. So Tara Smith writes, she says, once you understand why the strike makes sense, it is easier to dissolve any nagging misgivings about some of the other actions of the heroes. Uh, Hank's peremptory divorce of Lillian against her will, for instance, with no alimony and no property settlement reflects his final recognition that after her treatment of him over their years together, he owes her nothing. Any obligation he incurred from marrying her has long since been discharged." She had offered no genuine value to him, and she offers none now. Indeed, she actively seeks to destroy him. Therefore, he has no reason to continue to support her in any way. Or consider Galt's refusal of Francisco's request to have Dagny spend her last week in the valley at his place. Acquiescing would have betrayed how Galt feels about Dagny. The truth is, he wants her. To have made such a sacrifice for Francisco would have faked the value that she is to him. Sacrifices fake the value that different things are for a person, and they fake the nature of value itself. Any sacrifice of a man's values hurts him. Tara Smith emphasizes, and if those of you have heard her lectures, Dr. Tara Smith's lectures, you know that she has got such a positive, benevolent grasp of the, you know, happiness engendering value of. Ayn Rand's ethics. I definitely highly recommend that you get to this essay. Now, um, I'm, I'm just kind of skipping ahead to towards the end in terms of applying this to your own life. She says, notice that as long as the destructive nature of evil is murky to a person, he may understandably be lax about avoiding it. If morality is a game, then goodness is a game and the propriety of individual choices seem of no real consequence. A person must clearly grasp the stakes of moral principles in order to see the price of deviating from them. By making these stakes and the fundamental incompatibility of good and evil playing, Rand demonstrates that to compromise on a valid moral principle is to damage oneself. Such an action's premise is, in effect, quote, I'm not really committed to my happiness, or, quote, I want to live sort of, kind of, but not fully, end quote because all of a man's choices do carry consequences for his existence however the man who seeks to live cannot afford to drift between life advancing and life diminishing actions rather he must identify each specific option he contemplates as essentially a death action or a life action vigilantly restricting himself to the latter right you have to embrace the life affirming actions and for those people who like Dagny and and Hank Reardon make errors about this issue and continue to enable and tolerate the evil you hope that they learn the value you know before it's too late and before they lose you know things of tremendous value to them I've run out of time this week everyone I thank you for joining me for this episode if you want to continue the discussion support the show go over to the blog. It's don'tletitgo.com. You can check out all the program notes. Those of you who do support the show, I thank you very much. The Buttered Coffee Fund thanks you very much. And I will see you next week, same time. That's 11 p.m. Eastern Time next Saturday. Okay? Take care, everyone.